I want to remind us of all of our mission. Our mission at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want every man, woman, and child to hear the gospel, how we are deeply wicked and we're desperately separated by God because of our sin. But yet he loves us and he came and he died in our place for our sins and he will save us by his grace through faith. And then we should disciple those that know that to go and tell others. We're going to begin a new series. And this new series I'm calling Money Matters. And so if you're a visitor with us to church, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm preaching on money today, obviously, because the title of this series. I don't typically uh, preach about money. I usually, I pick a book of the Bible and we work all our way through it. But this is uh, November, which we're supposed to set aside to be thankful. So we're going to be thankful for the money that God gives us. We're going to do a a short series on money. And typically, like I said, I tip pick a book of the Bible and work our way through it. But this is, I'm all over the, the Bible today, so I don't have a, a scripture for it. Largely will be in the book of Proverbs, a sermon I'm calling Five Keys to Financial Freedom. I, I read the, uh, a uh, George Gallup report that said that 64% of couples argue over money. Okay, 64%. I think 34% lie about arguing over money, but that's for another sermon for another day. But it's been said that money is now the the greatest cause for divorce. It used to be number two, but it has recently moved into the number one position. Not a good thing. But I think what has happened a lot of times is is couples, they will stand on a platform like this. And it used to be until death do us part. But now it's until debt do us part. 64% of couples argue about money. And it's been said that 54% of all divorces are caused by money. Someone has said that there is 2,350 references to money in the Bible. I don't know if that's true. I didn't go through the entire Bible and count it up. Somebody else said that, so I'm just repeating what they said. And somebody has said that Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic. I mean, that's pretty heavy when you think about it. More than heaven, more than hell. Jesus, the parables he told, was largely centered on money. Why? Because money matters. It does. Because what you do with your money really reveals about who or what is really God in your life than any other measurement we have. The movement of your heart really flows that follows the, uh, the movement of your money. Because there was this day when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. We want to think that Jesus messed up and he, he mixed it up. That he should have said, where your heart is, there your treasure shall be also. But that's not what he said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. And he said that because what we put our money into, where we invest our money, it reveals to everyone, including ourselves, really where our heart is at. That means how we handle our money. The spending, the saving, the giving really defines what is important to us. So Jesus, he had a lot to say about money in the New Testament. There was a wise guy in the Old Testament by the name of Solomon. He had a lot to say about money. The, Solomon was the, white, excuse me, the wealthiest man in, in the entire Bible. That he was the king of Israel and he was incredibly rich. In fact, the Bible says that he was so rich, he ate on plates of gold. I've eaten on plates of paper, but never on plates of gold. And that's amazing. But not only was he the wealthiest man in the Bible, he's also the wisest man who ever lived. And he put down these principles for, for money management in a book called the book of Proverbs. So I want to look at, at some of Solomon's advice today as, as a church. But let me ask you a question to kind of set up everything else we're going to talk about today. And here's the question. Who makes the rules? 
Who makes the rules for you as far as the management of your money? Does God make the rules? Or does our culture make the rules? Because if God makes the rules, then we need to read what God said about our money and we need to do accordingly. Okay, So if God makes the rules, and then let's dive in together into God's word and see what he said about money. And today I want to give us five principles about, about God's means for financial freedom. And here's principle number one. Ready? Principle number one, keep good records. Everybody got that? Keep good records. You have to know where your money comes from and where it all goes. You need to know where it comes and where it goes. And so in order to do that, you have to keep good records. The Bible calls this the principle of accounting. Read in Proverbs chapter 27, verse number 23. The word of God says, know well the conditions of your flocks. And give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations? Obviously, when, when Solomon wrote this, you know, it was an agrarian society. Most everybody made their livings off of herds of sheep or, or goats. And so that's why he says, know the conditions of your flocks. We wouldn't say that today. Today, we would say, know the conditions of your stocks. That's what we would say. We, Solomon say, know your assets. Know your bank account. Know your real estate. Know where all your assets are in life. Keep, keep good accounting records. And this is the starting point. You have to be aware of your, where your money comes from and where it all goes. I've heard somebody say, money talks. It's not true. Money doesn't talk. It just quietly slips away. Money is silent. We only begin to scream and moan when we don't have any money left and we still have bills coming in. In fact, have you ever said this? I don't know where all my money goes. Anybody? If you have kids, you've said that. Okay, that's where, that's, we, that, we all say that. Well, if you've already said that, self-included, you may already be in trouble. So you have to keep good records of your money. If you don't know where your money goes, then you may already be in debt. And if you're in the dark about how much you make and where it all goes, you're setting yourself up for financial failure and you'll never be able to do the rest of the principles we're going to talk about in this message. So how are you doing? You have to ask yourself, if you're a single adult, how am I doing as, as, a, as an individual? If you're married, you have to ask, how are we doing as a family? We cannot keep ourselves in the dark. You have to know where all your money is going. The Bible teaches there are four things that we have to keep records of. Okay, four things you have to know. Number one, what you own. Number two, what you owe. Number three, what you earn. And number four, where it all goes. Those are the four things you have to keep a record of. So let me give you a little equation, and maybe this will make sense for you. Okay, here's how it starts. Ignorance of your financial conditions plus easy credit equals disaster. Okay, hopefully I'm not stepping on too many toes here. But if you have lots of credit cards and you're not keeping good financial records, there's a good chance you're already deeply in debt. And if that's not you, then maybe you're headed towards being deeper in debt and you don't even know it. One of the major problems in a marriage is when one person keeps all the records and the other person is totally in the dark, self-included. I don't, a lot of times I don't know where all our money's going. I need to know these things, right? We have to come together. We have to talk about this. We have to shine a light on it. We have to get it out. We have to not withhold any information. Why? Because Genesis, the book of Genesis tells us that marriage is a one flesh relationship. 
Not just sexually, not just emotionally, but physically and also financially. That the two of you are one flesh, working together for a common goal, sharing your hopes and your dreams and your, your failures too. So the first step to financial freedom is write it down. Make a log. Maybe you're somebody that has to get some software of some kind. Maybe you're more of a little black book type person, but you have to write it down. And if you say, I don't have time to do this, I would say this. Nobody has time to do this. I can't think of anything more boring than keeping a financial log of of all the money you spend. But let me ask you this. Do you worry about your finances? Do you you worry about how all your finances are going? Because if the answer is yes, let me tell you, if you go ahead and write it down, you keep a log, you're not going to be spending as much time worrying about your finances. But if you're not writing it down, you're not going to know which direction you're going, either up or down. But the Bible says, know the state of your finances. As Solomon said, know well the conditions of your flocks. Here's principle number two. Principle number two, plan your spending. Okay, plan your spending. This is the principle of budgeting. It's the dreaded B word for most people. There are two types of people in this world. There's nerds and there's free spirits. And one's not better than the other, okay? And typically what happens is you'll find each of these within the confine of a marriage. And some of you are like elbowing, no elbowing at the the sermon. Okay, go ahead and elbow each other if you know which one you are. Because the nerd, that's the person who likes to keep a log and write it down and keep track of every penny and where it's going. And the free spirit doesn't like to track anything. Everything's just willy-nilly and and spending however they feel. And the, the truth is... You kind of need a little bit of both. Every person, though, they need a budget. And a budget is defined by simply planning your spending. Budgeting is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where your money all went. And we all need to keep a budget. If you don't have a budget, then you're heading for financial disaster. Okay? And you're never going to be financially free. You need to plan your spending. You need to have financial goals like now. So you need to set financial goals for your saving, your spending, and also your giving. Just don't go through life drifting and doing whatever feels good at that time. Because people say, I think I, 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 I need to know where my money went. No, you know, you, you not only do you need to know, but you need to plan where your money is going. Look in Proverbs chapter 21, verse number 5. The word of God says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Do you know what that verse is saying? That verse saying that one of the things it's saying is that financial freedom is not determined by how much you make. Hear me on this, because we have this mindset. We think if I only made a little bit more, then I would be financially free. That's not true. Okay, because if you can't live on, live on this amount, then the truth is you won't make it if you live on this amount. Why? Because our yearnings will always exceed our earnings. Okay, you're always going to want more than you make. So if you can't make it on this amount, again, you'll never make it on this amount no matter what it is because your yearnings are exceeding your earnings. The key to financial freedom is not based off how you make. The key to, key to financial freedom is based off how much you spend. That means no, no matter how much you make, or how much or how little, you can be financially free if you bring your spendings in line with your income. 
that if you spend less, you don't need to make more. So you can be financially free if you would only reduce your spending. I think our government needs to hear this message. But I'm bummed. But anyways, Solomon said, uh, who is hasty comes only to poverty. What does that mean? Well, that's referring to something that's called impulse buying. Okay, that you act too quickly, you go out shopping, you see something, you make an impulse decision to buy it too quickly. Impulse buying is based on emotion. It's based off, I see it, I want it, so I don't budget it, I don't think about it, I just go ahead and purchase it. Why do you think they put the candy right next to the cash register at the grocery store? You know, you didn't go into that grocery store thinking, man, I need a, a, a Snickers bar. But you saw that Snickers bar and like, ah, I want a Snickers bar. And you go ahead and you buy it. You stick it on the conveyor belt and you pay for it. Now, with a candy bar, it's only a dollar. Big deal. But what happens when the purchase price is significantly higher? Okay? Uh, that, that's when we become slaves to our emotional purchases. All right, true confession time. How many of you made a purchase and later you deeply regretted it? Okay, half of you. The other half, you're probably lying, okay? <laughs> we do that. I, I've done that. I purchased something and then later deeply regretted it. You think, oh, if I only had that car, then I would be happy. We've all done this. We've all been guilty of, of impulse buying. I've heard somebody say that the, there's the two happiest days in a boat owner's life is one, the day they buy that boat, and two, when they sell that same boat. I won't ask for any hands. There's probably somebody in this, in this, in this room is going, amen, pastor. The problem is this. We live in America. And somebody said that America is built on capitalism. Well, I'm a capitalist. Capitalism is good. But capitalism is built on advertising. And advertising, like all of advertising, 100% of advertising is built on getting you to buy without thinking. It, it, this is something you're never going to see. You're never going to see that ad that says, here's this thing. It's so hip. It's so cool. It's so awesome. Now go home and think about it for six months. Think about it for six months, put it into your budget. And then after you can afford it, then come by back and buy this. You're never going to hear that. The ads always say, buy it now, get it now. You have to have this thing like now, this thing's this sizzling and hot. It's cool. And you can't live without it. And then we think, man, I didn't even know about that thing five minutes ago, but like, I got to have it like now, right? So all of, in, of advertising is built to get you to do what the Bible says don't do, which is impulse buying. Because impulse buying leads to, leads to debt. And if you act too, too quickly, you're never going to have enough. And of course, advertisers have studied your behavior, they all know there's one word that's going to get you to act when you shouldn't act, that is going to play upon your emotions. You're going to hear this word. You're going to think, I have to buy it now. And that word is sale, right? Yeah, it's on sale. I got to get it now because the sale ends today. If I buy it tomorrow, I'm going to lose money. So I have to go out and have to buy it now. So I save this much money. And then we say, look how much money I saved. You didn't save any money. What you should say, is this how much money we spent, right? <laughs> I'm playing with my wife here because I know there's a, that word is deeply affects her. But all of our culture is geared to, against you. Every magazine, every radio ad, every billboard, everything says don't plan your spending. It says if you see it and you want it, go ahead and buy it and figure out the rest later. And again, that's why the candy is right next to the conveyor belt on the grocery store. It is to get you to impulse buy. But the Bible says don't do that. Instead, plan your spending. 
Read in Proverbs 21, verse 20. It says, precious treasures and oil in a wise man's, or in a wise man's dwelling, but foolish man devours it. That's the person that they see their paycheck, they get the money in their pocket, and it just burns a hole in their pocket. They can't hold money for six months. It's burning a hole in their pocket, and they think to themselves, I got this money. Let's go out. Let's buy something. Let's, let's go to dinner. Let's, let's go look at trucks. Hey, I don't even know if we can afford dinner, but I got some money in my pocket. Let's go to dinner. That's that person. Without even thinking if there's other things they should be spending their money on. This verse in Proverbs 21, verse 20, this is really God's IQ test. So let me ask you, how smart are you? Does money burn a hole in the pocket the second you get it, or can you hold on to it? Or do you have this, uh, this, this thinking of, I've got to spend it now? Because if, you're, if that's the way you think, then you're not following God's plan for financial freedom. So how do you break uh, this habit of impulse buying over spending? Here's how you do it. How do you spell relief? Is B-U-D-G-E-T. Budget. You're like, Pastor John, this is the worst message I've ever heard. I know, but we all need to hear this, right? We need to hear what God said about this. But budgeting is just telling your money where you want it to go rather than just wondering where it all went. It's planning your spending, And if you're not doing this, you're never going to have God's blessing in your financial life because God says, I want you to learn to manage the money that I give you. This is one of the tests in life. This is the acid test for your character. How do you handle the resources that God gives you? So if you want to control your debt, you need to nip it in the budget. So I don't usually give homework, but here I'm going to have homework for you. I'm not going to collect it, so you're on the honor system here. But here's, I want you to go, down, go home today, and I want you to make a list. You need to make a list of what I own, what I owe, what I earn, and where it all goes. Got it? What I owe, what I earn, what I, what I owe, earn, and then where it all goes. And you need to start by figuring out the fixed expenses. If you're making a payment on a house or if you're renting, those are fixed expenses and, and the others. And then you need to, to put in the flexible uh, expenses and you need to total it all, all up and then compare it on what you bring in. And if you're paying out more than you're bringing in, then you need to make some adjustments. Here's principle number three. Principle number three, save for the future. The Bible tells us it's a mark of wisdom to save for the future. Proverbs tells us it's a wise man that saves for the future. So let me ask you this. How are we doing? How are we doing as a nation? I I read a study that said in in Japan, the average family saves 20% of their income. I read in Europe, the average family saves 18% of our income. But in America, the average family in America spends 1% more than they make. We do that because we have this mentality of live for today, right? We, 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 we have to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses had that new thing, so we got to go on a new thing. And we never fail to realize the Joneses are in debt up to their eyeballs. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had an ant problem in your house? Anybody? Yeah. Did you know that ants, God gives us ants to teach us a little lesson? He does. That's what it says in Proverbs. Read in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. The word of God says, go to the ant, O slugger. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, 
She prepares bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Saving is so important, but yet we don't like to do it. Okay, Why don't we like to save? Well, we have to admit it has a, everything to do with the heart. Okay, One thing that keeps us from saving is envy. We, we're, we're playing the comparison game. We see that, that, that other family, that other person. They're driving that new car. They're going on vacation. Let me tell you, social media has done wonders for this, hasn't it? We see somebody else. We're like, I got to have it. If you've ever said that, I, I got to have it, then you're, you're, you're failing the principle that, that God has given us here. And the truth is we're all uh, people that, that fail at this all the time. We're envying something and then it's bringing us more into debt than ever before. We're struggling with envy and it's bringing us deeper in debt. The, order, the, 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 the idea to get out of debt, what you have to do is you have to stop comparing. You have to stop competing. Just decide, I don't care what other people have. I'm going to enjoy what I have, and I'm going to quit looking at what they have and just be happy with what I have. So if you want God's blessing in your finances, it's not really rocket science. This is, for most of you, this isn't something you didn't already know. But what you need to do is you need to keep good records. You need to plan your spending. You need to save for your future. And here's number four. You ready? Principle number four. Return 10% back to God. You had to know I was going to go there, right? Eventually you're like, okay, it's a path. he's a pastor in a Baptist church. He's going to talk about tithing eventually. Well, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Point number four, principle number four, is the principle of tithing. So first comes accounting, then comes budgeting, then comes saving, and then comes tithing. Tithing is the first 10% that we make is supposed to go back to God. Read in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. The word of God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Did you hear what God said right there? He said, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says the full tithe, the first 10%. That's what he says right? But think about this. Why did God say 10%? He could have said 20%. He could have said 50%. He could have said 90%. He could have said, give it all back to me. Because after all, it's all his, right? But he didn't. He said, give me the first 10%. But let me remind you, God owns it all. He owns everything. You wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God. You wouldn't be alive if God wasn't giving you the oxygen that you're breathing right now. And really, everything you have, it really belongs to him. And when you die, it's all going to go back to him anyways. He just loans you what you have for 60, 80, or 90 years. But God says, I want you to take the first 10% right off the top and give it back to me. Why does he say that? Well, obviously, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He's got the, the hills, uh, the calves on a thousand hills is what he has. So why does he say that? The Bible says he says that for three reasons. One, it's an act of gratitude. That's why we tithe. It's, it's where we say, God, I want to remind myself that everything I have, it comes from you. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have this thing if it wasn't for you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the first 10% that I make and I'm going to give it back to you to remind myself of how great and generous you are. 
So one, it's an act of gratitude. Two, it's an act of priority in the presence. That's where we say, God, I want you to be my number one in my life. And to prove it, I'm putting you first in my money. You may, you may say that you love God, but really it's just empty lip service if you're not putting God first in your time and your money. Because the way we use our money and the way we use our time really reveals what's most important to us. If you want to see what's, what's most important in my life, there's two things you need to look at. Look at my calendar and look at my checkbook. Because those two things will tell you exactly what's most important to me. So we tithe because it's an act of gratitude. It's an act of priority in the presence. But also it's a statement of faith. That's where we say, God, I know all the promises in the Bible. I prom- uh, you, all the promises in the Bible, I know them. And I, it says, if I put you first, you're going to bless me. And to prove that, I'm going to put you first with my tithe. That's what God said in that Malachi chapter 3 verse. And God says in that verse, he says, let's have a little giving contest. You give to me and I'll give to you and let's see who wins. There's no doubt who's going to win. God's going to win. But God is saying, I dare you to trust me. I dare you to tithe. I dare you to put me first. By the way, Malachi chapter 3 is the only place in the Bible where you can prove God's, God exists. Because God says, I want you to prove that I exist. Tithe and just watch what happens. So you're going to ask, well, when are we supposed to tithe? That's probably the question you're, at, you're asking yourself. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. The word of God says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Let me just clear something up just to be crystal clear. Charity and tithing are not the same thing. Charity is great, but tithing is an act of worship. When we come to church, a church service like this, often we think of the, the singing. We think, oh, that's worship. No, that's just an aspect of worship. We think, okay, when the preacher speaks, that's an act of worship. Yeah, that is too, but also what we give is an act of worship. When Amy and I got married nearly 18 years ago, we decided that every penny that comes into our to our to our family, the first 10% right off the top is going to go back to God. You know, we might be in debt to some people when we decided God's going to get paid first. And for nearly 18 years, every time we made some money, he got paid first. And there were some times, there were some tough times. But I would say, and now my nearly 19 years of being a Christian, God is faithful. I want you to know God will take care of all of your needs. He may not take care of all your greeds, but the Bible says he will take care of all your needs. And those two are not the same thing. But in nearly 19 years of me being a a Christian, I've seen God bail me out time and time again because I put him first in this area of my life. I would challenge you to do the same. And maybe some of you are thinking, you're saying, Pastor John, I'd like to do this, but I can't afford to do this. I just tell you, you can't afford not to do this. You want God's blessing in your life? Start tithing and see what happens. But what's going to happen is that you're going to start tithing and you're going to start watching where all the rest of your money goes. If you start tithing, then you will start budgeting. You're going to see where the 10% goes, but then you're going to see where the other 90% goes. And you're going to find the places where you probably shouldn't be spending your money. But here's a principle. Really, this is a principle for every area of life. If you want God's blessing in that area of your life, then put him first in that area. 
If you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a fiance, a something, put God first in that relationship and watch what happens. If you want God's blessing in marriage, put God first in your marriage and watch what happens. If you want God's blessing in your career, then put God first in that career. If you want God's blessing in your hobbies, your sports, your whatever, put him first in those areas because God blesses whatever he's put first in. God wants to bless your finances, so put him first in those areas. I heard it said that the Bill Gates of a previous generation was a man by the name of J.D. Rockefeller. And he was incredibly wealthy. And somebody asked him, I didn't ask him, I wasn't there, I read this. But somebody asked him, how did you make your wealth? And Rockefeller said he used the 10-10-80 principle. That the first 10% went to God, the, the second 10% he put into savings, and he, he lived off the 80%. So he says, I give God 10%, 10% I put into savings, and I live off 80%. I would say that's a pretty good principle. That you pay God first, you pay yourself second, and then you start paying off your bills little by little. And again, God doesn't need your money. He just wants you to learn to be generous. He wants us to learn not to be stingy. Why? Because he's a giver. He wants us to be like him. That God so loved the world, he gave, right? So if you're going to be like God, you have to learn to be generous. There's lots of promises in the Bible. There's lots of them. Here's, here's one promise. Read in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. The word of God says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is what I'll say about that. Not the leftovers. Okay, you got to put God first right off the top and then just watch what happens. And you're not going to know if God's a liar or not unless you put this into practice. And I challenge you to do exactly that. You have to keep good records. You have to plan your spending, you have to save for the future, and you have to give the first 10% back to God. And here's the fifth principle. Principle number five, enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. This is the principle of contentment. It's where you enjoy what you have, no matter how little or how, how much you have. Sometimes what keeps us from enjoying what we have is because we're always wanting what we don't have. Read in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9. The word of God says, Better is the, in the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is also vanity and in striving after the wind. Learn to be content. It's, it's better to be content than that guy or that gal that's always wanting more. Read what it says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you're wondering, do these principles actually work? I would say absolutely. God wants to work in your life. But here's the two conditions, okay? Condition number one, you got to do all five. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, you know what? I'm going to be content, but I'm not going to tithe. You can't say, I'm going to save, but I'm not going to budget. That doesn't work. Here's how most people handle their money. They earn it. They enjoy it, meaning they spend it on themselves. They repay debt. Then they save. And if there's anything left over, then they tithe. Don't do that. 
That, that, that's out of whack. That's out, that's, that's out of order. And so here's the second condition. You got to get the order right. Here's the order that you have to do in order for God to, bl- to bless you. First, you have to earn it. Second, you have to tithe, meaning, God, you're number one, so you get paid first. Third, you have to save it. So again, you pay God first, yourself second, and then you have to repay it, meaning if you have any debt, you you pay off your debt. And the fifth order, enjoy it. Spend what you have on yourself after you've taken care of everything else. You know, today at the end of service here in just a few minutes, I want to pray because I'm certain with the crowd this size, there's somebody who is financially struggling. So I want to pray for you. Some people are having a tough go of it. And I really believe this. I hope I'm wrong, but I think we're about to see times that really we haven't seen in my lifetime where things are harder than they ever have before. As a pastor, I want to pray for that God would bless our finances. But here's what we all need to do. We have to do our part. And the biblical steps are earn, tithe, save, repay, enjoy. Ask yourself, how am I doing? What steps am I doing and what steps do I need to start doing? Because the root behind all of our financial problems is a heart issue. It's really unbelief. It's a lack of faith. I need you to ask yourself, do I really trust God? Because here's a really weird thing as Christians. As Christians, what we do, we say, hey, God, I trust you for, for salvation, but not in my finances. That's out of whack, too. That I trust God to get me to heaven, but I don't trust God with my checkbook? Here's what I'm going to say God wants us to do. God wants us to use the money that he gives us to be a blessing to others. And he says he's going to take care of us. And you're asking, well, prove to me that God cares about me. Well, let me say this. That God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. The reason Jesus went to the cross is because we're sinners. And our sin separates us from God. But yet God loves us so much that Jesus came and he died in our place. The nails that Jesus took, those should have been me. The whipping that Jesus took, it should have been me. It should have been you. But he did it for us. That we can be saved by grace through faith. And it's not of works. It's God's gift to us. The Bible has this amazing promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And it's not that you might be saved. He says you will be saved. Statement of fact. If you've never called on the name of Jesus Christ to save you, I would tell you to do that now. To recognize you're a sinner. Repent of your sins and turn to him in faith and he will save you. For most people, it's through a prayer. To say something along the lines of, Lord, I have sinned, but you love me. And you came and you died for me. I give you my life. Save me of my sins. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.